would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. As we uh, continue our study through the book of Philippians, and we're winding it down almost near the end. So we come this morning to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 13. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And uh, before we turn there and, and read together, I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come together to Your Word this morning, I pray, O Lord, that You would speak to us by the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, through these sacred and holy words. Lord, words that come from Your breath, breathed out by You, recorded for us, that we might live by them. Lord, may Your words this morning be planted deep in our hearts. Give us hearts that are cultivated by Your Spirit to receive them. Give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see and give us hearts to receive. That we might be transformed, O Lord, for our good and for Your glory. And so we come together under Your Word. Guard this time. Protect this time. May it be a time for You to do in us what You desire let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand with me if you're able as we turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Before I read, uh, <clears throat> some have made much of the fact that Paul puts this Thanksgiving section at the end of his letter instead of at the beginning, and some say that Paul is sort of slighting the Philippians because it typically comes at the beginning and it's kind of an afterthought. Not the case at all. If anything, it's more in an emphatic position because uh, uh, the, this letter was read, you remember, to the church at Philippi, and so the last note that they would have heard would have been this note of thanksgiving. So uh, we'll look more at that next week, uh, focusing on the thanksgiving aspect, but this morning we're going to be looking more specifically at the theme of contentment. The Apostle Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. You may be seated. Well, if we're honest uh, with ourselves, we have to admit that, that Paul strikes a nerve in these verses, because he is, he's prodding into an area of life that is so grossly deficient in most of us as Western Christians. He says he has learned the secret of contentment. And this is the very thing that we desperately need to learn. 
because we are a people that are prone to discontent. We are restless and unsatisfied, always searching for things to fill a void that we just can't seem to fill. To use the language of John Piper, there is within each one of us a a deep cavern of desire, a well of thirst, a pit of hunger. And so many of us are perpetually discontent because we are trying to fill that cavern with things that fail to satisfy. And to make matters worse, we live in a society that that runs on discontent. Uh, The advertising industry knows how to make us feel like our lives will be unfulfilled unless we have the latest in technology, the newest game, the trendiest clothes, the best gadget, and on and on it goes. The, The Superphone XR15 is all the rage until the Superphone XR16 comes out. And then how could you possibly be still found carrying around that old technology-deficient, slow beast of a XR15 phone with you? You have to have the next one. Our consumer culture thrives on the disease of discontent. And none of us is immune to it. We may think that we are. In fact, maybe you're here this morning, you're kind of nudging your, your husband or your wife, thinking, hey, you better listen to this one, this, uh, this whole idea of contentment. This one, you know, you could really listen. You could really benefit from, from what Paul has to say here. Or, you know, your, your son or your daughter, you materialistic, consumer-driven snob, this message is for you. No, it may be, but it's for all of us. None of us is immune to what Paul is telling us. I was reminded of this just the other day. I was... Uh, Lori and I, uh, and Esther, Lori and I, uh, uh, and Esther were driving, and for some reason, the uh, navigation app on my phone lately has been automatically switching to the fastest route. And uh, so I'll, I'll put the route in, uh, in, plug it into my phone before we leave, and, I'll, and it's maybe not the fastest route because I don't want, maybe want to take the fastest route. Maybe I want to take a more scenic route. Maybe I want to take uh, the most direct route. Maybe I want to take the most fuel-efficient route. And so it's not always the fastest route that I want to take. So I put the route into my phone that I want to take, and then I'll be driving along, and it'll just boot me off of that route and automatically put me on to the fastest route. And that happened again the other day as we were driving, and I got instantly annoyed. And I said, oh, this stupid phone, what's wrong? with this stupid phone? Why does it keep, why does it keep uh, you know, booting me off the route that I want to take? Why can't the dumb thing just do what I tell it to do? And after a bit of reflection on that really irrational overreaction to an app on my phone, uh, reflection that, yes, was prompted by my wife, I realized with embarrassment how little it takes to unsettle my contentment. And again, before you scoff at that, I know the same is true for you as well. How, how little it takes to unsettle our contentment, a stake that isn't done right, a, a computer that boots up too slow, a red light that is taking too long to turn green. The 17th century Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a book about contentment, and in that book he said this, if you want to see a Christian that has progressed in godliness, let me tell you what to look for. Look into the jewelry box, as it were, and see if you find there the rare jewel of Christian contentment. It is this rare jewel of Christian contentment that is so lacking in many of our lives. And it is this rare jewel of Christian contentment that the Apostle Paul says he has found. And so as we turn our attention to these words of Paul, it's my hope and prayer that we can learn from him the secret 
of contentment. But before we can learn how the secret of contentment is attained, we have to consider first how contentment is not attained. Contentment is not attained through earthly pursuits. And this is the trap into which so many of us fall. If, if, I, if I only had a little bit more money, then I would be satisfied. You know, I don't need a lot more. I could just, you know, have a little bit more, then life would be better and I would be satisfied. If I could only get over this hump in my career, if I could only get on top of this next project, if I, if I only could find the right person to marry, then I would be content. I don't need much. I just need a little more. If I only had more time in my schedule, more space in my home, more tools in my garage, more items in my collection, more clothes in my closet, more freedom in my job, then I would finally be happy. The problem, though, is that we can never have enough. We get a little bit more, and then we want a little bit more. We get a little more, and we want more. This is what the teacher found in the book of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? He, he went on a, on a great quest for contentment. And he took it upon himself to pursue every possible earthly means of satisfaction, every pursuit that there was to pursue under the sun. He did it all. He plumbed the depths of human wisdom. He indulged in every avenue of earthly pleasure. He tried comedy. He tried alcohol. He undertook great projects. He accumulated a massive amount of wealth. He gave himself without any restraint to all of the delights of sexual pleasure. And in the end, this is what he said. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Contentment cannot be attained through earthly pursuits. The, the teacher tried it all, and it all left him empty and unsatisfied. That's what happens every time. There is nothing under the sun. There is no earthly pursuit that can fill that gaping cavern of desire. It's like trying to shovel dirt into a bottomless pit, like trying to fill a hole that can't be filled. It is an exercise in frustration and futility. As the teacher says, it's like trying to chase the wind or like trying to shepherd the wind. I think that's such a, a powerful and fitting image. You know what it's like to try to shepherd the wind, to try to chase down the wind? And you know, you, you see the wind or you, you feel the wind come up and you're going to go try to chase it down and, and harness it and put it in some container and keep it there and keep it chained and keep it locked up. You, you know, you're going to have any success doing that? You'll spend all the rest of your days trying to shepherd the wind and it will never be done. And yet so many of us go through life trying to do just that, trying to do what cannot be done, looking for contentment in all the wrong places. And so we go from one job to the next and from one project to the next and from one possession to the next and from one earthly desire to the next, from one pursuit to the next, but we are never satisfied. And we keep craving and chasing and craving and chasing, but the end result is always the same. It's always emptiness. It never satisfies. And what the teacher said about money applies to all other earthly pursuits as well. He said, he who loves money never has enough. 
He who loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. In one of the uh, episodes of the old TV show, The Brady Bunch, Mrs. Brady decides one day that she wants uh, to repaint their bedroom. And so they do. They, they put a fresh coat of paint in, in, in the bedroom, on the bedroom walls, and it looks really good when they're all done. But with that fresh coat of paint on the wall, she says, you know, really, with, with the walls looking so nice, the, the carpet looks awfully drab. Really ought to replace the carpet as well. And of course, if we replace the carpet, she says, then we're going to have to replace the curtains because they kind of go together. And if we pl- replace the curtains, that it really ties into the bedspread. We're going to have to replace the bedspread as well. And if we replace the bedspread, the whole room is going to look so nice that we really ought to do the hallway. And on and on and on it goes. And that's the way it is, isn't it? With, with trying to attain contentment through earthly means, you never have enough. It always leaves you wanting a little bit more. We cannot attain contentment through earthly means, and the sooner we learn that, the better off we will be. But not only is contentment not attained through earthly pursuits, it is also, uh, as Paul will tell us, not tied to circumstances. So Paul says in verses 11 and 12, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, when Paul says he knows what it is to be in need, the word need is a translation of a Greek word that, that means to be brought low, uh, it, it, to be in a state of, of lowliness or, or dependence or, or humility or of low status. And so Paul knows what it is to be in a state of lowliness. In fact, he said to the Corinthians, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. He knows what it's like to be in that place of utter destitution and, and lowliness and humility. And when Paul says that he knows what it is to have plenty, I think that word plenty is, is too soft of a translation because in our context, we think of plenty as just, just kind of like barely enough. That's not the, the sense of it in Greek. In gr- the Greek word uh, means to abound or to have an abundance. And so Paul is saying that he's done life on the whole range of circumstances from having nothing to having everything, from, having, uh, from, from being in dire need to, to overflowing with abundance. <clears throat> and it's interesting to me that Paul says he has learned the secret of contentment, not only in times of lowliness where we would expect him to have to learn it, but that he's learned the secret of contentment in those times of abundance. And this is really where most of us find ourselves, isn't it? At least from a material standpoint. The challenge for us is not to be content when we have nothing because really we we never have nothing. The challenge is to be content when we have more than we need but less than we want. The challenge is to be content in a culture of abundance. How how easy it it is for us to be intoxicated by prosperity and to desire the gifts that God gives more than the giver. It is our 
natural instinct, I think, to have our, or to think that our contentment is tied to our circumstances, that we're just sort of naturally wired that way. And I was reminded of this again the other day by our dog, Ruby, and our cat, Tilly. So I walked into our dining room, and our dining room has a, uh, a door that leads out to a patio, and this door is pretty much all, all glass. And so I walked into the dining room, and our dog, Ruby, was outside staring intently through that door glass to the inside. And our cat, Tilly, was sitting on the inside staring through that, the door the glass to the outside, and both of them were looking just pathetically miserable. Ruby was miserable because she, all she wanted was to be inside, where it was warm and nice, and, and man, wouldn't life be so much better if I could just be on the inside? And why are they keeping me on the outside? And why are they so mean to me and so cruel? And look at the cat in there on the inside, and, and man, it would be so much better if only I could be in the warm house on the inside. And the cat was looking, was miserable because she's looking to the outside and thinking, man, why are they keeping me in this prison of a house? Why can't I just be out in the free, free out in the great outdoors and look at the dog gets to be outside? Why can't I be outside like the dog? And so there they sat, each staring through the same window, utterly miserable, completely discontent because of their circumstances they were in. And it's really... No different at all for us. We're really exactly the same. We try to find contentment in our circumstances. If, the, if things were just a little bit better, and it's always a little bit better somewhere else, on the other side, what somebody else has, if I could only be in that situation, I would be content. The problem, of course, is that our circumstances are always changing, and life then becomes this roller coaster ride of highs and lows, and so we're always grasping but never finding the contentment that we crave. The contentment that Paul found was a contentment not tied to circumstances. In fact, that word content is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It's used only here, and it's a word that Paul borrows from the Stoics. Uh, and the Stoics regarded contentment as one of the highest of all virtues, and for them, contentment was a sort of inner ability to rise above the circumstances. It's sort of this, this inner serenity, this serenity now, serenity within that they produced within themselves. And so the, the Stoic Seneca put it this way. He said, the happy man is content with his present lot no matter what it is and is reconciled to his circumstances. And so for the Stoics, contentment really amounted to self-sufficiency. It was this sort of the self-contained independence that came from a fierce determination of the will. I am going to be content no matter what. I'm going to set aside my circumstances, rise above it all, and be content. Now, Paul's use of the term shows that contentment is not tied to circumstances, but as we will see, he gives it a radically different meaning that, than that of the Stoics. So that brings us then to our final point. So we've seen that contentment is not attained to earthly pursuits. We've seen that contentment is not tied to circumstances, but it leaves us then with the all-important question, and that is, well, how then do we attain contentment? Or what is the secret of contentment that Paul says he has learned? And Paul shows us in these verses that the secret of contentment, I'm just going to give it to you right up front and then we'll unpack it a little bit. So the secret of contentment, big surprise, you've been singing about it all morning, it's Christ. The secret of contentment is in Christ alone. 
The secret of contentment is this. It is knowing Christ as the only source of supreme satisfaction. In other words, Paul takes this this stoic idea of contentment as self-sufficiency, and he turns it completely and utterly inside out. For Paul, contentment comes not from within himself, but from outside of himself. For Paul, it comes not from this rugged self-sufficiency, but from Christ's sufficiency. For Paul, the secret of contentment begins back in chapter 3, verse 8, where he said, I consider everything a loss. And this is really, again, that this is the theme of the whole letter of Philippians. I consider everything a loss compared to what? The surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, he says everything else is garbage compared to that. He can take everything in this life, everything that this world has to offer, and put it on a scale on one side and put Christ on the other. And this doesn't even register on the scale. Christ is everything. This is the source of Paul's contentment. He has found the ultimate joy of knowing Christ. He's come to know Christ as the supreme treasure of the universe. He's come to see and to savor Christ as the one thing that is so beautiful and so valuable and so supreme that he has become all satisfying to him. It is in Christ himself and in Christ alone that Paul has found his unshakable contentment. We see the same idea back in chapter 1, where, and it kind of woven throughout all of Philippians, but back in chapter 1 where Paul said, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Just give me Christ. It means that Christ is the whole sum and substance of his existence. Christ is the sun around which his whole life revolves. Christ is the wellspring of his passions, the heartbeat of his ministry, the content of his preaching, the object of his affection, the goal of his labor, and the joy of his existence. For him, Christ is everything, and Christ is enough. This is the secret of his contentment. He knows Christ is the only thing that is truly and supremely satisfying. This is the point that Paul makes in verse 13. He says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, this is one of the the most well-known verses in the Bible, one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible, most often printed verses in the Bible. Unfortunately, it's also one of the most misused or misrepresented verses in the Bible. The verse is so often taken in sort of a triumphalist sense There's nothing I can't do without Christ in me. And so athletes will put this verse on their cleats or on the inside of their baseball caps. I've seen weight rooms that have these verses painted on the ceiling above the bench presses. I've seen Christian entrepreneurs who have this verse printed and framed on their desks. And the sense that is being conveyed in all those contexts is always the same. We take this verse to mean I can achieve this goal. I can accomplish my dreams. I can finish this race. I can win the gold medal. I can get the job that I want through Christ who gives me strength. That's not what Paul is saying. But that's not what this verse means. As with all of Scripture, we have to read verses in their context. 
Paul is not saying here that you can achieve any goal that you set your mind to by the power of Christ in you. I can do everything, especially, especially extraordinary things through Christ in me. No. We have to hear this verse in context where Paul is talking about contentment. This is what the verse means. He is saying, I can be content in any and every situation in Christ who gives me strength. He's saying, in other words, I can be content no matter what life brings because I have all that I need in Christ. And I have all that I need in Christ because I have come to know him as the only source of supreme satisfaction. That's what verse 13 means. So whether we know it or not, we are all searching for contentment. We're all trying to fill that deep cavern of desire, that, that pit of hunger, that, that well of thirst. And for so many of us, it's like we're running on a hamster wheel, just always chasing but never attaining the satisfaction that we crave. And Paul says that the only way off that hopeless hamster wheel of discontent is to see and savor Christ as the supreme treasure of the universe. As we sang this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you want to grow in the grace of contentment, the secret is to know Christ more fully and intimately. Get to know him more and more because contentment is the fruit of an ever-deepening relationship with him. The more we know Christ, the more content we become and the more things of earth grow strangely dim. The prophet Jeremiah said, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Man, what a beautiful, what a beautiful picture. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a picture of contentment. In seasons of drought, the, the tree is able to bear fruit. How? Not because it, it has a source of water within itself, like the Stoics said. Not because it has some sort of secret reserve that can just draw on from within itself to make sure that its leaves stay green and it keeps on producing fruit. No, the only way that it is able to produce fruit in seasons of drought is because it is planted by a source of water outside of itself. It is planted by a flowing stream. This is a picture of our contentment in Christ. When we know and trust in him, we become like that well-fed tree that flourishes and thrives and bears fruit. In fact, as Jesus himself said to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst you're looking for water that will only make you thirsty again. Look to me, he said, I'll give you water in which you will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let us stop chasing after things that fail to satisfy. Let us be rooted in Christ 
as the only source of the contentment we crave. Let us heed the invitation of the Spirit and the Bride and come with our deep thirst to take the free gift of the water of life. Let's bow together. Oh Lord God, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer of response, Lord, we all, whether we know it or not, are craving contentment. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for trying to find it in things that fail to satisfy. And renew within us, O oh Lord, a hunger and a thirst and a deepened awareness of you and you alone as the only source of supreme satisfaction. Lord, hear our silent prayers of response this morning. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Oh Lord, may we, with Paul, more and more be able to say that I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, the source of supreme satisfaction the wellspring of living water, the only water that truly quenches our deepest thirst. Lord, may it be that all we once held dear and built our lives upon and all this world reveres and, and wars to own, that all we once thought gain, we now count loss, spent and worthless now compared to knowing you, Lord Jesus. May we do so more and more. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I invite you